Okay, so uh, welcome to the uh, to the class. Uh, this uh, this new series, which we are about to uh, which we are starting. Uh, hopefully, it will be. Uh, this is one of those uh, a series which could really go on forever, uh, which I guess would be good on the one hand because we dive in every day, multiple times a day. So hopefully there's always room for improvement in terms of our, our davening, uh, our understanding of davening and our appreciation of davening. Uh, but at the same time, it's probably one of those things which is good in, in spurts, just like in exercise. So uh, I was just listening to uh, felt, uh, some people talk about the exercise, not for me, obviously, but uh, for other people, they said that uh, the real growth from exercises happens in between exercise sessions during what we would call recovery. So that's where the real growth happens, not when you're actually straining the muscles, but in between the sessions of straining the muscles. So that's where the actual growth is, uh, is going to occur. So it's probably a smart idea to go ahead and have uh, you know, uh, uh, some classes about uh, davening, the structure of davening, seeing what's, uh, what's happening, and then taking some time to absorb that and to raise the level of our davening till we uh, are at a new uh, level. And then perhaps, uh, you know, have more classes after that so that we could move incrementally in steps rather than just being overwhelmed by it. And uh, uh, in the, at the end, not being able to, uh, to get anything out of it. So uh, like we talked about in the last series with the 13 principles, there's one of the uh, uh, principles of creation. One of the ideas behind creation was tzimtzum, was contraction, where in order for the physical HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to, who's a spiritual being, to allow the spiritual world to, to physic, sorry, the physical world to come into existence. So Hashem has to contract his existence in order to allow physicality to come into, into the world. So here also over the course of this, uh, davening is a huge, huge topic. I have from the last time, 20 years ago or so, when we were doing davening related stuff in Shul. So I have uh, many, many svarim, 20, 30 svarim about the, about the sitter. Some of them a little bit more detailed, some, some of them a little bit more broad, but there's much which is uh, to be discussed about the, uh, the sitter. Uh, but we're going to try, as I said, to be mitzamtim ourselves, to limit ourselves to uh, being able to understand, at least this first time through, understand the basic st- structure of what exactly is going on. Now, there's two things which I think are important to, uh, to be mindful of. Um, one of them is, the, uh, the idea, or maybe two things, uh, uh, that uh, one of them is, is that the Siddur is a fascinating history to it. We would think, let me go ahead and quote from the article, uh, somebody who saw the topic which I was uh, giving you sheer on, so he said, oh, you probably want to go see Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky's article about the, the Siddur, which appeared in a particular uh, Torah journal. Uh, it'll be something which is very instructive. So I didn't realize when he sent it to me, I know who Ravar Lapiansky is, but I didn't realize how much time he spent on uh, researching the history of the sitter in the precision of the sitter, the correct wording, the correct diktuk and all of that, uh, that stuff. And it turns out that uh, one of the farm which we used uh, the last time we did the sitter related stuff, turns out he was one of the editors of that. So and he didn't even mention that particular work in this article. But uh, he spent a lot of time uh, exploring the, uh, the, the sitter. And uh, he writes that he says, when a, young boy, when a young boy asks, who made the sitter? He will be answered with the Anshek Nessus Hagdola, of course, the men of the great assembly, obviously the ones who put together the sitter. In his, ver- in his young imagination, he somehow thinks that from Moda'ani to Shir Shalyom, every little bit has been established by the Anshek Nessus Hagdola. 
leaving the publisher only with the discretion to decide the color of the cover and the names on the dedication page. But let us begin the true story, is how he goes out and introduces his thing, because uh, the sitter has, has been and continues to be a work in progress. It's something which we could almost say that in every generation or every few generations, so additions to the sitter have, uh, have, uh, have been added. And therefore, uh, our goal of being able to say that there is an internal structure, let's just say as far as Shachris is concerned, but the goal of being able to say that there's an internal structure which, be, which you could follow from the beginning to the end, so that's sort of true, but that's also sort of not true. Because there may have been an internal structure as far as what the Anshe Knesset Sagdola themselves went ahead and put into place. But then when you have the additions which were added by the Gonim, and then the additions which were added by the Rishonim, and the additions which were added every generation along the way, even something such as, uh, let's say, Kabbalah Shabbos, as far as Siddur history is concerned, it's a very recent addition to have Kabbalah Shabbos, something which the Kabbalists of like the 16th century or so, they're the ones who introduced that. And until then, there was no such concept as Kabbalah Shabbos. So as we look at all of these things and where they were introduced and who introduced them and how they became accepted into the Siddur, got published into the Siddur. So you could take many, many courses uh, just on the history of the, of the Siddur to be able to trace all of that. But we're going to begin, we're going to approach this with the premise that there is an internal structure from beginning to end uh, of Shachris, and that each step along the way is taking us on a, uh, is a different leg of the journey or is a different site which one would uh, want to see and one would want to, uh, to enjoy. So if uh, we could use a muscle perhaps, just to try and uh, uh, illustrate what exactly is going on, is imagine that you're going to take one of these architectural boat ride tours of the city of Chicago. So you know that the boat is going to go, the, every day the boat is going to go the same route. I don't know where it takes off from. I don't know where it ends up. I've never actually taken one of those. But you would imagine that if you are in Chicago, if they had different options, so there may be like a beginner's tour, an intermediate tour, and the expert's tour. So the beginning tour is just going to tell you, this is the Sears Tower. This is John Hancock building. This is, they'll just identify basically what the, uh, the buildings are so you'll know what you're looking at. They may give a very brief history as far as what it is, when it was built, who built it, all of that stuff. And then by the time you just get a very superficial perspective of what you're seeing in that boat tour, the tour is over. The hour and a half, the two hours, whatever it's going to be. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be over. When you take the intermediate tour, it's assumed that everybody knows they can identify those buildings already by sight. And they know the basic history of when it was built. And they'll begin to tell you a little bit more about what the architect had in mind, why they designed the building with those colors, with that shape, with all the different things which were taken into consideration. They'll tell you more about that. So that as, a, as a, a, somebody who appreciates architecture, so you'll be able to appreciate a little bit more and a little bit deeper what each building represents and why it appears the way that it is. And then when you take the tour the third time, because you just can't get enough of it, so then they may go ahead and start describing what exactly is happening inside of the building. Interesting features about what happens inside the building, the plumbing and the air conditioning and how they, uh, the, you know, how they reinforced it in, in different ways so that when the wind gets really strong off the lake that the building isn't going to sway. And there'll be a much more deeper analysis of perhaps not even just the architecture, but they'll go into the engineering of it. 
so that you know a little bit more about how exactly the building stands up and how it was uh, was built and did they uh, manufacture things on site it was prefabbed and was just brought in and the uh, the job of the uh, the construction guys was just to connect the pieces. So every step along the way, every different level, there's more depth which you could go ahead and you could explore. So the same thing is going to happen with regards to uh, with regards to Trila. That what we're going to try and do in this first pass is just try and develop an appreciation of what the goal is, what we're trying to accomplish, what we should see along the way, and to uh, to understand. Uh, ultimately, as everybody knows, everybody who's here knows that much of ha what happens, let's say, in Pesukim Zimra, are either entire paragraphs taken from Tehillim, or collections of Pesukim, like in Hodu or something like that. So you have collections of all sorts of different uh, different Pesukim. And at some point, one who's going to be somewhat uh, a sophisticated uh, davener, so has to know that. At some point, someone or some group of people sat in a smoke-filled room. They had the entire Tanakh there in front of them. Everybody's sitting there with the Tanakh. And they're going to say, okay, of the 3,000 pages which comprise the totality of Tanakh, so what are we going to say every day as part of davening? And whatever suggestion you make, whatever for uh, 12, whatever 15 of us who are going to be part of this, uh, who are part of this, uh, this room, we're going to be doing this together. Whatever suggestion you make in terms of your favorite paragraph of Tehillim, which you would like to incorporate, or which psukim you think are absolutely essential and a person cannot daven successfully without saying that pasuk at some point uh, along the way, so you're going to have to go ahead and defend your position. Why is Ashrei so important? Who decided that Ashrei is going to be like the middle point of, of, of Sukkot Zimra? And this is something which even if you skip other paragraphs, which we're not even going to get into what paragraphs to, you may be allowed to skip or not uh, for time reasons, but who decided that Ashrei is the most important part of all of Sukkot Zimra? And who decided in the paragraph of Hodu, which Sukkim are going to, be, are going to com comprise this section of Hodu and which, which not? Who's making that decision? In Yehich Vod, the paragraph before Ashrei. So somebody went ahead and just collected about 15 different Sukkim. And obviously they must have some common theme between them. Otherwise, why would you go ahead and group these Sukkim together when there are literally thousands and thousands of Sukkim on all of Tanakh? So when you think about it from that perspective, somebody is making all sorts of, so somebody or some group is making all sorts of executive decision, decisions about what to include and what not to include. And it had to have been defended amongst the peers who are part of that same meeting who are deciding what is going to be included in the sitter and what is not. So nothing is random in the sitter. Nothing just happened to be there by accident. Nobody snuck anything into, uh, into the sitter. So everything is there because a conscious decision was made to go ahead and incorporate this, and there's a reason why. And our goal is, what we're going to try and accomplish over the course of this series, is just to understand why, not necessarily all of the whys, but to understand why uh, this paragraph was, uh, was included, and in the, th in the flow of things, what exactly are we trying to accomplish, okay? So that's what that's what going to be in a very basic sense our, our goal. Now, uh, as with everything, right? Uh, a GPS. That's why the muscle of the GPS is actually such a wonderful uh, muscle. So uh, everybody knows that before your GPS is going to be able to take you anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Uh, in yeah. the, over the course of over the course of your 
uh, journey. So the first thing you have to do, the, the GPS doesn't even get going, can't give you any directions whatsoever until you go ahead and you put in a destination. Without putting in a destination, so it's not going to be able to, it'll track you, it'll follow you where you are if you don't put in a, a destination. But if you actually want to get somewhere, so you have to put in a destination. And once we know what your starting point is and what your destination is, so then we can map out the directions and say, you're going to turn here, you're going to turn there, take this road, whatever the rest is going to be. So first and foremost, the first thing that we have to understand as far as davening is, what's the destination? When we sit down, again, we'll just focus our attention on, on chakras, but when we get up in the morning and we decide, okay, I'm now going to daven chakras, whether it's five minutes of chakras, it's a 10-minute chakras, it's a 15-minute chakras, half an hour chakras, it's an hour chakras, however long your chakras is going to be. So you have to know that there's a destination which you are trying to reach, because without knowing what that destination is, it's almost impossible to be able to get there. So without knowing what that de destination is, you'll read lots of sukkim. We've all had that experience where we would like davening to be this spiritually uplifting, inspiring uh, experience. We would like to, the, the way the, that some of the, uh, the, the commentators explain is that uh, if, if by the time you finish Shmonesra, when you take the three backs from Shmonesra, if you're not different than you were when you began Shmonesra, it was a failed Shmonesra. So every Shimon Esrei is supposed to be transformative. Every Shimon Esrei is supposed to change us in some way. Otherwise, we're just mindlessly reading through uh, whatever happens to be in the sitter. Or if we know it by heart, we're just, in a sense, apologize for being so disparaging like that, but we're just sort of babbling through the words. And we have no idea whether or not we're accomplishing the goal or not, because all we're doing is we're just following the procedure of saying the words in, the, in that sense. So the first thing that we need to do is, before we can appreciate what the sights and the sounds that we're going to observe on our way as we go through the journey, as, we, uh, as, as, the, uh, as the sitter takes us from one, one location to another along the way. But we have to know ultimately what is our final destination? Where are we trying to, uh, to, to, uh, to get to? So this is something which actually the, uh, the uh, Shulchan Aruch tells us what that is going to be. And does that appear on the screen? Okay, so what we have over here is whenever I could handle technology, it's a good thing. So uh, what we what you have on the on the screen over here is a page from we'll call it the Mishnah Bura, and here sort of nestled in the middle of uh, uh, something which would seem to be almost irrelevant is the destination is the identification of the destination which we are all trying to uh, to reach. So what does it say? So this is Orachaim Simensadi Aleph Sif Aleph. So it says, we're looking at Sifalaf over here where the hand appears. There, there it is, somewhere around over here. It says, Haisa Talis Chagura Amasna. So let's say a person has, we're just going to call it a towel. So a person has a towel wrapped around their waist. Lechasoso Mimasta Vulamata. So that the bottom half of their body is covered. In other words, that their genitals are going to be covered. So they're covered enough with the towel around their waist so that they're not, to, their genitals are, are covered. So for Kriyashma, what Shulchan Aruch is addressing over here is that for Kriyashma, that already is enough. As long as there's a separation between the upper half of the body and the lower half of the body, and the genitals are covered. So if you want to say uh, Kriyashma, if you want to say a Shahakal, you want to go ahead and make Hamotzi, nobody's saying that you should say the bracha dressed in just a towel, 
But in the event that one is covered with just a towel around the, uh, around the waist, so saying brachos in general and saying kriyashma is considered to be a sufficient covering where you could say those, or you could recite those prayers. But But when it comes to Shmon Esrei, you're not allowed to dab in Shmon Esrei if you're just wearing a towel around your waist. So this is a, a curious thing. For everything else you want to say, you can open up any page in the sitter other than Shmon Esrei, and as long as you have a towel around your waist, you're considered to be sufficiently tsanua, you're sufficiently covered, where you could go ahead and you could say Kriya Shema, you could say Brachos, you could say all the things that you want, you could say any Bracha and any Tefillah that you want. But suddenly when it comes to Shmon Esrei, Shachar says, if all you're doing is wearing a towel around your waist, and that's the extent of your, your cover-up, so Asr Lihispal, it's a very strong language, it's Asr to go ahead and daven. So what makes Shmon Esrei different fundamentally than the rest of davening, that there's just going to be this heightened sense of tznias and a heightened sense of, uh, of covering of, of, of clothing, which one has to wear. So here, the Mishnah Burr explains, uh, he says, this is by Sif Katan Aleph, he says, why is it that there's a different standard of covering for Shmon Esrei than the rest of davening? Explains the Mishnah Burra, again, near the line where the hand is, because when it comes to Shmon Esrei, so Liros Esatzmo, you have to see yourself as if you're standing before the king and when you're actually in the presence of the king and you're having a direct conversation, an intimate conversation with the king, so you are going to be there with a sense of awe and reverence. There's no such thing as speaking to a king. Remember, when we're talking about a king over here, don't think of it in terms of mayors or governors or even presidents of the United States, who at times will appear in a very uh, uh, not uh, not formal uh, clothing, for, formal attire, but it may be a very uh, leisurely attire. Uh, you know, uh, whatever they call it, whatever, whatever the phrase is for being dressed on Friday, where you dress down on Friday. So we're not talking about that type of thing. Back in the day, we're talking about where you would stand before the king. And if the king decides, because he doesn't like the way you're dressed or something, that he's offended by what you do, he could just have you killed on the spot. So this is a person where you have to make sure that you are appropriately dressed in a way which is respectful and demonstrates awe and reverence for the conversation which is taking place. Now, in order to appreciate what the Mishabura is explaining over here in terms of Shulchan Aruch, you have to, it's, it's not so much what he says, but what he implies by what he doesn't say. In other words, if I want to say Kriyashma, I can wear a towel around my waist and I can say Kriyashma. If I want to say Shimon Esrei, I cannot just put a towel around my waist to say Shimon Esrei. I actually have to get dressed. Yechasa Libo means what we said in Shulchan Aruch, the next Mishabura says, Huadin Kol Gufa. It means your whole body has to be covered. You can't go there. You can't go in there with boxers, and in, in, uh, in, uh, they would have been appropriate to go ahead and say Shimon. You may be able to get away with it, but to, to say Shimon Esrei in boxers in a wife beater, that's also offensive to the Shimon Esrei which you are doing. Why is it offensive to go ahead and say Shimon Esrei? My, my body is covered, but, but what needs to be covered is covered. So what's wrong with boxers and uh, in, in the wife beater? What's wrong with that is is you'd never actually appear before a king wearing your boxers and the, and the wife beater. It just wouldn't happen, not in a million years, because you show up in the palace dressed that way, 
they not they wouldn't even let you into the building dressed that way, let alone allow you to appear before the king, because there's a protocol. The best that we have nowadays is to, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to have a meeting with the Queen of England. So obviously, before you have a meeting with the Queen of England, where you're actually going to have a direct conversation with her, not even in, in just a, a greeting line, but you, if you're actually going to have a conversation with her, undoubtedly, some of her staff would contact you ahead of time, and they would spell out for you exactly what of the, all of the protocol is, and they would tell you how to dress. They would tell you exactly what you're expected to wear, white type of thing, maybe a little bit of a range that you have your own personal discretion, but certainly they're not going to allow you to, to, uh, to speak with the Queen of England, certainly not with cameras there, if you appear in your boxers and your white beater. It's just, it's just not happening. But what's important is, as I said, is not what he does say, what's important is what he does not say. So why is it that for Kriya Shema, I'm allowed to say Kriyashma just wearing a towel around my waist. When it comes to Shmon Esrei, that's considered to be insufficient, that that's not going to be enough. And the reason is, as the Mishabura says, is because only Shmon Esrei are you standing and having a conversation with the king. That means the rest of davening is not a conversation with the king. Now that's mind, that's mind blowing for some people to realize that the rest of davening is not a conversation which you're having with the king. And it's, it's something else. We'll explore in a moment what that something else is, but it's something else fundamentally. So the goal in terms of what is our destination of davening, our destination of davening is to have, as the Mishabura says, the goal of davening is Shmon Esrei, and the purpose of Shmon Esrei is to have that private conversation with the king, the Melech Malchem Lachem HaKadosh Baruch the very creator of the heavens and the earth, in order to have a private, intimate conversation just between you and HaKadosh Baruch you have his full attention, and he is going to be listening to every word which you say. Now that itself is an unbelievable privilege, which we'll talk about more later on, but that's why the uh, essentially davening is said while sitting down. Now, there's certain paragraphs which we do happen to stand up for, but those are for different reasons, not because we're, ha we're having a conversation with God. The only time it's absolutely mandated that we have to stand up is when we're saying Shemona because the only time we're actually having a direct, intimate conversation with the Boreola, with the creator of the world, is only when we say Shemona So if the only time we're actually having a conversation with God, reflected by the fact that we stand for Shemona and reflected by the fact that when we say Shmon Esrei, we have to be covered more so than when we say the rest of davening. So what is the rest of davening? So many people think of the entirety of davening from brachos all the way until the end of Shir Shalom is all a conversation with God. That's not true. It's not a conversation with God. Now, even though when we say brachos, we say Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, where you're speaking to him, you say Atah as if you're speaking to him but it's still not the level of conversation that one has when they're actually saying Shmon Esrei. Shmon Esrei is a completely different league and it's, that's why it's said quietly because when you're having a private conversation with somebody, so you don't scream out that private conversation. When you give a shear, you may be screaming. But when you're having a private conversation one-on-one -on -one with somebody, so that's going to be said in a respectful way where it's going to be intimate just between you and the person you have the conversation with. And that's why the rest of davening may be said very loud. You go in some shuls, you go to like a Stalin or shul. It's a type of chasidus. So all of davening is said in a scream. 
There's, if, you, if you don't like loud noises, don't become a Stalin or Hasid, because you're not going to be able to handle davening uh, with them, because the entire thing is said full blast. There is no, there is no volume button on it. It's either on or it's off. That's the, the only uh, volume that they have. So the entire, most of davening is done at full blast, volume on, comes to Shmonesri, then it's shut down. Then, it's a, th- th- then it goes off. But the truth is, is that for the rest of us as well, that we say Psukit Izimu, we say Birchas Kriyashma, we say Kriyashma all sitting down because we're not talking to God. If we're actually talking to God at that point, then we'd have to be standing. So if we're not talking to God during Kriyashma, we're not talking to God during Birchas Kriyashma, we're not talking to God when we're saying Psukit Izimu, so then what's the exercise? What, what are we trying to accomplish? So what we're trying to accomplish, the way the, uh, the Mepharshim explained the structure of the sitter is that there's no such thing as just jumping into a conversation with God. Sadly, sometimes during Mincha or during Marv, if you, if you show up late, you may actually have to jump right into a Shmonas, right? But it's never ideal to go ahead and do so. It's actually considered to be in many ways disrespectful to do so, because how, why do you think that you could just you know, run in off the street, you just ran out of the car, as you're running in, you're throwing on your mask, and then suddenly you're in the middle of a conversation with God. So that's something which requires preparation. It's something which requires uh, 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 COVID roast. It requires a serious frame of mind to be able to have that conversation with the Boreola, with the creator of the world. And jumping into that is something which is not, uh, uh, does not demonstrate sufficient respect to what exactly is taking place. So therefore, when we spend our time from brachos, birchos hashachar, all the way through until we get to Shemona Esrei, all of that is preparation. It's our mental preparation. It's our warm-up for what's actually taking place, which is the destination. And that is to get ourselves into that frame of mind where we, are, uh, we uh, correctly understand who we are talking to and what it is that we're going to, be, uh, we're going to try and accomplish over the course of that conversation. And therefore, we go through that whole exercise of birchos kriyashma, sorry, birchos hashachar, and then psukhet uh, zimra, and then the uh, brachas revolving around the kriyashma. All of that is to get us to the point where we could go into shmon Asrei. And that's why, as everybody knows, that if you look in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the in the Gemara, so the Gemara is very makbid that one should be so mech geula letfila. One has to go from the bracha of Goal Yisrael into Shmon Esrei to such a degree, as we all know, that we don't even say Amen after the bracha of Goal Yisrael. We sort of, the Tzibur theoretically all says, Bracha Tashem Goal Yisrael together in order to avoid saying Amen, because we need to go, Chazal see that the, uh, the uh, uh, frame of mind which we need to have as we enter into this intimate conversation with the Boreola, with the creator of the world, is from the perspective of the ghoul of the redemption from its right. So we need to have that level of appreciation where we know we were enslaved and we were tortured and we were being killed and we were at the mercy of the Egyptians. God comes in like that knight on shining armor, Lahavdil, and he comes in and he saves us and he takes us out and does all those miracles. And with that sense of appreciation of what he did for us in the formation of the Jewish people as a nation, that is the mind frame, the frame of mind, the perspective that everybody is supposed to have as they enter into Shemon Esrei, because that highlights what Akash Baruch Hu is capable of doing, what he has done, and why it is that we're having this conversation with him in the first place anyways. So when somebody asks you, what is the destination of davening? 
the destination of davening is to get to Shmon to be able to have that private, intimate conversation together with God. And that is what we are trying to achieve. That's, what, that's where we are going. And that's what the, the, uh, everything which we say before that is all the warm up and all the preparation. It's all the meditation to get ourselves into that frame of mind, which uh, to, uh, to be able to have, to make the most of the conversation we're going to have with God. And that's why Chazal tell us that in, back in the time by the Hasidim Rishonim, the earlier pious individuals, if the, those of you who have, uh, who have done that in the Gemara Brachos, whether Dafyomi or you did it on your own, but that's why the Gemara says that they would spend an hour in preparation before they said Shmon Esrei. So this is before they had the entire Siddur like we have now. So but they would spend an hour in conversation, private conversation with Hashem. That's the number. They would, it would be Shachas. They would spend an hour. But they would also have an entire hour of meditation and preparation beforehand so that they'll be in the proper frame of mind that they could actually have that hour-long Shmon Esrei. So even they, people who were incredibly connected with, uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, these are people who are on the level of Tanayim. This, this is a spiritual level, which is unimaginable to us, how much, greater they, uh, how much greater than us they are. And even for them, it took an hour long of meditation and preparation in order to get themselves into the proper frame of mind so that they could say a good Shmon Esri, they could reach the destination of like it says over there, Liros so that you'll be in that proper frame of mind where you see yourself literally standing before the creator of the world, the king of the world, and you're having a conversation with awe, with proper awe and reverence. So that's our destination, is Shmonesri, that private conversation. And what we do before it is in order to be able to get ourselves there. So now, with that in mind, so it's interesting that, and we're going to go just uh, through uh, uh, one of them outside, and then two of them we'll just look at very briefly, but different ways which commentators understand the structure of, 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 of the sitter. What exactly we're trying to go through from beginning to end, what world are we going, are we going through? So the first one, the simpler one, which uh, you don't have in front of you, is going to be the, uh, uh, it comes from, uh, the World of Prayer by Rabbi Dr. Uh, Ellie Monk. So this is something, uh, those uh, used to be a different uh, cover. Uh, if you have an older version, it's a different cover. They may have actually updated it since I got this a good, I got this in Tafshin Nun Dalid. So it's close to uh, 20 years ago is when I, when I, when I got the, this one. Um, I would hope that they redid their cover since then. But he says, he writes as follows. He says, the, the uh, worlds of philosophers, as the Shlach HaKadosh explains, so they say that there are four different spiritual worlds which exist. And this is a common Kabbalistic theme, these four different worlds. That's why lots of things, as we know, like from the Pesach Seder, things come in fours. So sets of four are always going to be related to these things. And they are the sphere of material phenomena. This is Olam HaAsiya, the world of doing. Then the next one is that of forms. Olam HaYetzira, or the world of shaping. Number three is that of active forces, Olam HaBriya, the world of creating. And finally, the world of pure ideas, Olam HaTzilus, the world of spirit. So you have these different levels. You have Asiya doing, Yetzira is shaping, Briya is creating, and Atzilus is the world of spirit. That's going to be the highest level. So he explains... Uh, 
from the Shlach Kodesh, there, this corresponds, he says that there's four sections of Davni. The first section, Til Baruch Shamar, we'll call for simplicity, Birchos HaShachar and Karbanos. So man's practical needs, like awaking and clothing, are needed. So tomorrow morning, when you say Birchos HaShachar, you'll say that we say, Zokif Kefufim, I have the ability to stand up, Matira Surim, and my limbs, I'm, allowed, I'm, I'm capable of stretching out. Pokeach Ivri, my eyes open. So all those brachas which we say have to do with the most fundamental physical needs which we have. And that's the first and foremost which we say. And then, so that corresponds to Olam Ha'asiyah. This is the lowest level of, of all. The world of material phenomena are the point from which the quest for God must set out. So we begin the first section Birchas HaShachar and Karbanos is this Olam HaSir. The second division, called the Psukhet Zimra, deals with God's revelation of himself in nature and history. So you'll pay attention again in the Halalukas and whatnot. So we're talking about the, how we're able to observe God's presence in the physical world. We're not entering into his domain, into the spiritual domain, which is going to be the third section. In the second section, Psukhet Zimro, what we focus our attention on is the fact that how we observe God's presence in nature itself. So through the Halalukas, not every line, but through the Halalukas, a, a, a primary theme of Ashrei and, uh, and all the way through the Halalukas is God's interaction into the physical world. And that's why the, the Gemara says that the most important prayer in that Psukhet Zimra is Ashrei. And the most important line, the reason why Ashrei was chosen as to be the central feature, the pivotal feature of Pesuket Zimra, is because of the line, So it's this idea, the recognition, he opens up his hands, and he goes and he provides sustenance to everything which exists. So we look at nature, and that nature is going to include the things which grow in the plants and the animals and the stars and everything which is nurtured, everything which needs energy everything which needs God's presence in it. So through Pesukah Zimra, we observe and uh, uh, acknowledge God's presence in the entire physical universe in which we find ourselves. And that's what we're trying to think about. That's what we're meditating upon and developing our appreciation of God and our perspective of God. Now it's a higher level. It moves from outside of its concentric circles. So moving outside of the very narrow perspective of me, Birchus HaShachar is all about me, what I have in it. And now as I expand that, now it's the universe. I see God's presence in the physical universe itself. That's what we're trying to be mindful of and meditate on throughout all of Pesukit Zimra. Then the next uh, is going to be the, uh, the uh, Birchus Kriyashma. So in Birchus Kriyashma, so this is where we go ahead and we see God's uh, presence in the spiritual universe. Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzavakos. So what we're doing is we are, uh, we are parroting what the angels themselves, the angels who live in a spiritual world, not in our physical world, but the angels who live in that spiritual world. So that's where we go ahead and we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we see God's presence there. So that's a wider circle than the physical world. Spiritual world is really going to be without physical constraints. So it's going to be much wider than that. And then finally, we get to Olam Hatzilus, that's going to be Shimon Esrei, that's going to be the highest level, where we're just there with God himself. So we've gone through myself, the physical world, the spiritual world, and now once I've meditated, meditated upon all of that properly, that allows me to now enter into that pure spiritual palace of the king, 
and to be able to have the intimate conversation, me and him, because I know who I'm dealing with now. I'm not dealing with some sort of schlepper. I'm not dealing with somebody who just has more power than me and I just need a favor for them because I need a variance in order to be able to do some construction in my house or something like that. I'm dealing with the Melech Malchei Amlach Baruch the Borei Olam, the one who created everything and everything depends upon. That's a much more serious type of conversation. And that's what I go through. That's the process that I go through as I grow through the, uh, as I go through the different stages of Davin. So that's the way, that's the uh, basic one with only four steps along the way. Now, uh, there's another one. This I took from um, my, the sitter, which I'm currently davening from. So he has, you see over here, he has a more detailed list. It appears over there on the screen. Okay, let me make it a little bit bigger for you, for those of you who have eyes like mine. So what we begin with is we start, he, he calls them different sharon, different gates, which we go through. So you have to go through, um, um, uh, you know, like in a, a kid's video game or something like that. You have to go through different levels in order to be able to reach the, uh, you know, in order to win the game, whatever winning the game means, you, you win the game. So uh, we go through different gates in order to be able to get to where we're trying to go. So we begin with Shari Bracha. This is the gates of blessing. This is Birchos HaShachar and Birchos HaTorah. So this is where we give thanks to Hashem for restoring our strength. So as we said, this is a very physical uh, 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 acknowledgement of God's presence in our lives. The very fact that I could wake up in the morning and I can move around, I could get myself dressed and I could walk and I could do all of those things. So that already is one, uh, the first gate which we go through. Then you have what he calls Share Yira, the gates of awe or reverence. So this is not everybody says this, but this is the parsha of the Akeda. So this is in between Birchos Hashachar and then what we say, Lo Olam Yehei. And then Lo Olam Yehei Adam. This is the prayers to prepare one's heart for davening. So we think about Avram Avinu's devotion. We think of this week's parsha. We think about Yitzchak Avinu's devotion to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And we talk about the need, if you look in the Lo Olam Yehei paragraphs, the need to be honest and to be connected with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Next is Shari Kapara. This is the gates of atonement. So this is the part which we call uh, Korbanos. That whole section of Korbanos all the way through to the end of Rabbi Shmuel Omer, as you see in the Hebrew, it says Rabbi Shmuel Omer. So all of that reading the Korbanos is akin to offering them and atonement is thereby achieved. So we go ahead and knowing that davening is really a replacement for Korbanos and the ideal way to go ahead and do the avoda to do the service of God is to actually serve him in the realm of Korbanos. So that's why we go ahead and before we get going in davening itself, we remind ourselves of Korbanos and how Korbanos are going to be able to connect us with God and uh, secure for us forgiveness in the event that that's what we need and the daily, uh, the daily, um, um, the daily Korbanos. After that, next gate is Shari Shivcha, the gates of praise. This is Pesukah de Zimra. So this is where we contemplate Hashem's kindnesses as preparation for the Amida. So this is where we begin the actual meditation on God, thinking about what God is, uh, the role he plays in our lives and the role he plays in the physical universe. Next one is going to be, is called Shari Emuna. This is the gate of belief. This is Birchos Kriyashma and Kriyashma itself. And this is where the main, the main focus of, of Kriyashma is the Kabbalos Omar Hushamayim. It's where we accept upon ourselves the yoke of heaven. Obviously, if we want to position ourselves to have a nice conversation with God, we have to make sure that we demonstrate that we are loyal citizens. So how do we go ahead and demonstrate that we're loyal citizens? So we don't have a pledge of allegiance. 
as we were, as used to be said at the beginning of the school day. Now it's considered to be offensive and you could probably get thrown in jail if you go ahead and try and say the Pledge of Allegiance in the, in a public school. But in the event that but back in the day, and what's true for us is we go ahead and we formally our makabal omach shemaim. We accept upon the sel- ourselves the yoke of heaven. That's birchos kriya shema and shema. Then finally, we get to the highlight of it. In this system, what we're doing is it steps up and then it steps down. So the steps up are to get us to shari tefila. This is the amida. This is the shmon esrei itself. As we said, this is the direct conversation with Hashem. The avodah shabalev, the service of the heart. This is where we have the uh, that intimate conversation. Then afterwards, so uh, after having that, uh, that meditative experience, that hopefully spiritually uplifting experience, you can't just run out right after that and just let yourself go. It's like after exercising. So after exercising, you have to have sort of a, a time where you, you, know, you um, step down from the, uh, the intensity of the workout. And you, uh, otherwise, if you jump into another activity too, uh, too quickly, so you could cramp up or you could injure yourself or something like that. So in the same way, uh, after this uh, conversation with God, so you need to step down from that. So shari slicha, that's the gate of forgiveness. That's vidui, which us Ashkenazim don't really say, but nefilas apayim, that's tachnun. So tachnun is the first step down from Shmonas, right? Shari Torah is going to be kriyasa Torah on those days where there's kriyasa Torah. Shari Kedusha, the gate of sanctity, is where you have ashrei lamnatseach and uvalitzion. So it also is another step down, which we, which we are taking. The primary focus of the, that section is the Kedusha, the Sidra. That's the, the part of, uh, of, uh, of Uval Etzion, where we say out loud together, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzavakos, and all of that. And then finally, we have Shari Shira. We end with a song about uh, God or related to God. And that is the Aleinu and the Shir Shalyom. So as I said, in this system, this one which we have over here from the Siddur, which I'm uh, using the Sha'ar and the so it's going to be steps upward till you get to Shmon Asri, that's the high point. And then once you finish there, then you go ahead and you take your steps down. You don't just jump off the, you know, the staircase when you get to the top. You have to go ahead and you have to walk down in a similar type of, in a similar type of fashion. Now, the last thing which I will share with you tonight, the new one appeared on the screen. Yeah? Says Ezra's Nashim over here? No. No. How about now? That's a new page. Ezra's Nashim. Okay. So this is, this is a fa- Oh, now it says it's on my screen. Okay. So as you can now see. So in this one, this is from Rav Yaakov Emden. So Rav Yaakov Emden also put together a system of, of the sequence of davening, what you're accomplishing along the way and what you're steering spiritually along the way. This one requires a little bit more um, of visualizing and a little bit more of an imagination. But the way he sees it is, is that from the beginning of davening all the way through um, till the end of davening, what you're doing is you are walking, you're taking a walking tour through the Beis HaMikdash. And as you move through each stage of davening, you're getting closer and closer to the Kodesh Kedashim. Obviously, that's going to be Shmon Esrei. And then you're going to see some after things after you get to, to that. So he puts it in terms of, and I apologize, maybe next time I'll go ahead and I'll lay out for you a, uh, uh, one of those maps of the, of the Beis HaMikdash itself. But you see, he's going through, hopefully these will be somewhat uh, um, familiar terms. So he says, you start off with Ezra's Nashim. He says, you're going from east to west. 
in the base of Mikdash. So the first thing you're going to have is the outer courtyard where everybody is allowed to congregate, known as the Ezra's Nashim. So he says, this is Kobrech HaSashachar, which is said also by Shomrim Gam Nashim Vyaladim, which is said by women and children as well. Then as you're moving westward, so the next section of the Beis Hamikdash that you find yourself in is Ezra Sisroel. So this is now already a, a we're, we're moving up in sanctity. If you're, uh, those of you in Dafyomi, so you remember that many times as you go through these different levels, the uh, Beis Hamikdash complex was not level ground. But as you would go from one section to another, there was actually stairs that you would have to ascend in order to get from one level to another. So that's a Sisrael. He says this is where the part. This is this is his explanation of it. He he has it in his sitter as you move from each section of the sitter. So it says Parshas Akeda of Carbonos. This is a section of the Akeda and the Carbonos. Tzarech Lesader Bebeisa Knesses. You have to arrange them in Shul. Shohu Mikdash Maat Begaluseinu. Because he reminds us of the idea that the shul is a miniature Beis HaMikdash. That's what we're trying to do. That's a, the function of a shul. And just like in the Beis HaMikdash, if you remember, we had this in Yuma, those who were doing that Yomi, that when they would ask to make sure that it was morning, they would say, do you see the light all the way until Hebron? Why did they ask if you see the light all the way until Hebron? Just say, do you see the light or you not? So the reason why they would mention Hebron is because Hebron is a reminder of the Avos and the Imahos. It reminds us of the great events which took place by Avram, Yisrael, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. So they would go ahead and they would mention by name, or they mentioned by reference, the Avos before they would shech the first Korban in the morning as a way of invoking their merit. So therefore, we also say, let's say, Parshas Akeda, we read through the Akeda also to invoke the merit of those great ancestors which we have before we embark on the rest of, uh, of Trila. And then, just move it along somewhat quickly, Ezra's Kohanim is the next section. This is where only the Kohanim will be allowed to go. So this is where we actually read the, the portion of the Korbanos of the Tamachal Shachar. And he goes and explains it in great depth. And we, we read the Psukim, we read the Mishnah, we read Bryce as we elaborate on it. Then you have Safon HaAzara. The northern part of the Azara, again, the Dachyomi people certainly are familiar with this. This is where the higher level korbanos are all going to be shechted. So you have the north, we're moving from east to west, but there's also going to be a Mason-Dixon line in the Azara itself. And higher level korbanos could only be shechted north. Lower level korbanos could be shechted anywhere in that area. So as we are ascending up the ladder, so the next place that we're going to go is the northern part of the Azara. This is where we say, for those who say it, this is the Mishnayis, which elaborate in great depth. Then you have Malos Sheben Ulam Mizbeach. The next thing is, is you have the Mizbeach, the outer Mizbeach. From there, you ascend a bunch of steps to go to the Ulam. The Ulam is the antechamber right before you get into the room, which has the menorah and the Shulchan and the uh, smaller Mizbeach, the Mizbeach, Mizbeach, where the incense would be burned. But the stairs themselves is, he says, that is the Bryce of Rabbi Shmuel. Should be Mufareshes Haitit. Sorry. Letters are next to one another. Mufareshes Haitit. And then you have the regular cottage. Then you actually enter into the Ulam. The Ulam is the antechamber itself of that, the, that, that particular room. That's going to be Baruch Shara, Psukit, Zimmer, and all of that. The Heichal. The Heichal is the room which actually housed, the, as we mentioned, the menorah. The shulchan, which had on it the lechem upon him, the bread, which was there for the entire week, 
and it had on it right in the middle of the room was the Mizbech uh, HaKetaris, the, uh, the uh, uh, altar where the incense was, bur- was burned. And then you have the base Kasha Kedashim. So this, again, is the high point to actually enter into the Kodesh Kedashim, which was only allowed by the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. So this is the Tefillah, which we say, this is Shvon which we say silently. So if Yaakov Emden is saying that you're taking a walking tour through the base of Mikdash, and the goal is to get to the Kodesh Kedashim, to actually be standing there right in front, as, as close as you could get in this physical world to God's presence. So that's where you would go ahead, and that's where you have the highlight of the conversation. Then the rest of these are, 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 are terms which are not uh, so familiar, but then you have the Devere. Okay, you have these different rooms. You see, he goes on his step down is a, dump, a bunch of different uh, um, chambers which exist. There's the Devere, the base Aaron, that's going to be Berkas Kohanim, Beis HaKapores. This, he says, is going to be where you, the, the Vidui and the, uh, the, the Tachnun. Achore Beis HaKapores. This is the area behind the Kodesh Kedashim. This is where you have, uh, uh, in the event that you were saying a shortened version of Fila, that would be over there. There's what's called, he puts Hata. So those who remember, those are little chambers behind the Besamitish where things were stored. That's our equivalent of a storage room. That he says is the, the Lamnatseach, Uvalitzion, the Kaddish. Parbar is another room over there. Let's see my thing over here. No, sorry, it's not showing up. Okay, um, that is going to be, that's going to be Aleinu, Yeshir Shalyom, the Duchen, the platform, that's where the Levium would stay, that's like we say on Shabbos, that's where you have the Song of the Levium, the Pitum HaKetoros, all of that, and then the base of Tinas is also, that's where they would manufacture the Ketoros, but the main thing is, is that from Rav Yaakov Emden's perspective, what we're doing over here through the course of davening is the destination is to reach the Kodesh Kedashim, and the way we get there is by walking through the different sections of the Beis HaMikdash. So he has this visual tour, which is taking place, which we're going through. And we'll have to see how much of the, uh, the different sections are going to be able to fit into this, uh, this process as well. We will primarily use the first two sections, the, the first two models, the one from uh, uh, the world of prayer of the four different sections. And then the second one, which is a little bit more, uh, which is a little bit more broad, but I think it's important to be mindful of this uh, idea of Yaakov Emden that he's seeing all of the all of the sitter, all of Shabbos, as being a tour, and every step along the way, you're supposed to be thinking about, you're supposed to be experiencing different proximities of closeness to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and different proximities of closeness to the kedusha and the sanctity of what's what's going on. So hopefully, this serves as a uh, an introduction to what we're going to try and accomplish as we then go sort of paragraph by paragraph, again, not translating uh, words and whatnot in the paragraph, but just to uh, uh, appreciate and to know what the paragraphs or what the different sections are trying to accomplish so that over the course of our davening, we'll know at least we may not understand all of the words. We may not be able to have a precise translation of it, but at least I know basically what I'm, uh, what I, what I'm looking at so that the davening will be something which will be elevated, more enhanced, and hopefully it will be something which will allow us to be able to uh, feel that we are gaining more out of davening than we are up until this point, uh, this point in our lives. So I'm going to stop the share. Uh, anything which uh, needs uh, clarification? Anything uh, more? Or we're... I, I have a question about Shapel. It yes. seems it seems like. We're getting to the peak, which is going to the uh, to the Kodesh Hakodeshim, 
uh, at least according to the interpretation of Rev Emden, um, mm -hmm. then why would you want to come down from there? Like, why would you want to go lower and lower and lower? I get, is that to get back to your normal self or to get back to the physical world? Is that? Right, because uh, we, we, we don't spend all day in prayer. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we need to take uh, what we're trying to do is, thank you very much for that, for that question. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that we take the spiritual growth in the accomplishments which we achieved over the course of our davening and incorporate them into our daily lives. Remember that the ultimate goal of what we do is to sanctify the mundane. It's really easy to be spiritual when you're in a spiritual existence. It's not hard for a malach to be a malach because what else is a malach going to do? Malach isn't going to go visit Scotland or Kentucky or something and go uh, you know, on, a, on a bourbon tour or a, a tour of uh, a scotch manufacturing tour. Uh, uh, a malach is going to do what malach can do. The challenge for us is to be able to, because we, we have this combination of spiritual and physical together. That's the uniqueness of mankind, is that we have the spiritual and, the, and, and, the, and spir spiritual and physical all fused together in one. And therefore we have to, as we rise and achieve higher levels of spirituality, that's not the goal. The goal is to then take that heightened spirituality and now have, find expression in the physical world. Uh -huh. So that's why ultimately we have to, uh, you know, return back to quote unquote real life. And that return to real life is where we go ahead and we try and uh, that's how we elevate the physical world ultimately, which is what God wanted, is that the physical world should be able to recognize God's existence. So that's why we have to take that back, back with us in our, uh, in, in our lives. It's sort of like, uh, it, it's a little bit far-fetched, uh, but it, it, that's the example that, the, that the probably best illustrate this. Is if you remember the uh, the Gemara in Chagiga, Dafyomi will get there in about four months or so. But you have that story of the Arba Shenichnesula Pardes, the four people who went into that that uh, that uh, that orchard, whatever that spiritual orchard is, and mm -hmm. some of them couldn't get themselves to leave. Right, and that was not a good thing. Right, the goal was to be able to go out, go out unscathed, but to be able to go out because you can't remain in the Pardes forever. Ultimately, have to return back to the physical world. So that's what we, uh, that's part of what the, 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 the goal, that's what the step down is, is to be able to, uh, you know, sort of like recovery after, uh, after surgery or something. So they don't just send you home, they have to make sure that everything is functioning in, 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 in all of that stuff in order to make sure that you're capable of then resuming whatever your, uh, your life will be, will be. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't yeah. know if this is a good question or not, but is it, is it, Better to daven Shmona Esrei quickly or very slowly? Um, so at some point we'll touch. It's an excellent question. Uh, it, it's an excellent question because for me because I know the answer, <laughs> and that is because it's it's something which is it's an old old debate about what the what, what's the proper thing to uh, to do in terms of whether to say quick or whether to say uh, slow, and there are different practices. You go into, you see different Rashi Yeshiva, Rashi Yeshiva, or different Rabbanim, or different Rebbes. In some of them, they're the fastest Shmon Esrei in the room. In some of them, they are the slowest, and they don't even bother waiting for them. Because if you waited for them, nobody would come to Minyan anymore. They'd, uh, they'd be diving by themselves every, every day. So you have this, uh, it's, it's a basic debate. And when we get to Shmon Esrei, so remind me to, uh, to revisit that question in case I forget between, uh, between now and then. Okay, thank you. All right, so hey, thank, thank you, very you much Rabbi. For the so right now we're Tuesdays at seven at this uh, uh, 
keep track of this uh, this Zoom link because it'll be uh, consistent all the way through. And this class will, uh, even after the, the clock changes, we should remain uh, consistent at seven. We'll just have to be more mindful of the fact that when we're finished, when we're starting at seven, we have to be done at 7.45, 7.50 because we have to run tomorrow because Marv is at eight. But that'll make sure that we end on time. <laughs> Thursday night is also at seven, same Zoom link. Right, Thursday night we may, we may decide to do after Marv like we did, because some people like earlier, some people like later, so it gives an option mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, to accommodate, but we'll, we'll see. But for right now, uh, but this Thursday, the, uh, the halacha class is going to be on, uh, will be at seven, uh, will be at seven. Yeah, okay. Excellent. Thank, Thank you very much for coming, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.